Psalm 42 As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshippers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Saviour and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from the distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. O oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones, they scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God, I will praise him again, my Saviour and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning everybody, NCBC. What uh, a joy to be able to share with you this morning. I'm sitting at my uh, dining room table and uh, I'd like to imagine you all around here and us sharing a meal together. Uh, that's sort of at the heart of what I want to share this morning. We're on our journey uh, forward in faith. And this morning's topic is Bible study. And uh, I really appreciate Richard reading Psalm 42 for me. Interesting psalm, a uh, cry from the psalmist's heart. He's depressed, discouraged, a little bit in despair. Uh, and yet searching for something and longing for something. And I do believe that this is sort of the direction that God would have me share this morning. I think when we think about Bible study, it's so easy to think about it from an academic point of view. All the mind and the understanding that we need in order to study what it is that we are and understand what it is we're reading from Scripture. Some of you might have read uh, Gary Thomas's book, The uh, Nine Spiritual Temperaments, and uh, two of those are along those lines. Uh, the intellectual temperament and the traditionalist temperament tend to look at uh, the importance of study in our Christian life. As I think about it, I realize that actually when we, when we look at it from that point of view, it may cause many people to switch off. They want something practical. They want to understand 
how the truth is applied and uh, how it should change their lives. When Jesus was uh, praying right at the end of his ministry in that wonderful prayer in John 17, he said this, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you have sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them, so they can be made holy by your truth. The background to the word truth there means that which is essential, that which is at the heart of a matter, that which is the deepest thing concerning something. I want to share with you this morning from perhaps a, a, a different angle. Many of you will have done Bible study for years. You could teach me a thing or two, I'm sure, uh, about Bible study. But I want to come from another angle that I feel God has made much more real in my heart over these lockdown weeks. So please bear with me as I do this. I want to begin by playing you a song, a song that was written actually by Bert Bacharach and Hal David. They didn't want to write this song, so the records say, and yet having written it, it became one of their favourite compositions for themselves and indeed for many other people. I invite you just to listen to this song, but more than listen, to look at the words, read the words that are coming up. I believe there's some profound truths in those words. David really wanted to play this song this morning, but apparently copyright don't permit. You may be pleased to hear that they don't permit me either to sing it to you, but I'm just going to say the words. What's it all about, Alfie? Is it just for the moment we live? What's it all about when you sort it out, Alfie? Are we meant to take more than we give? Or are we meant to be kind? And if, if only fools are kind, Alfie, then I guess it is wise to be cruel. And if life belongs only to the strong, Alfie, what will you lend on an old golden rule? As sure as I believe there's a heaven above, Alfie, I know there's something much more, something even non-believers can believe in. I believe in love, Alfie. Without true love, we just exist, Alfie. Until you find the love you've missed, you're nothing, Alfie. When you walk, let your heart lead the way, and you'll find love any day, Alfie. Well, I expect that was a journey down memory lane uh, for some people. We're talking about Bible study. What's Alfie got to do with Bible study? Well, you hear some of the words there. What's it all about? And uh, I don't want to go into the history of the film, but the song reveals it. What's, what is life all about? What is it that we are aiming for? What are we trying to live for? What are our goals? What's our purpose? Why are we here? Uh, and let me just pick up on one or two of the lines there, where, where the song says, I know there is something much more, something even non-believers can believe in. Non-believers believing in something. I believe in love. 
Without true love, we just exist. Until you find the love you've missed, you're nothing. Interesting, very interesting words from what is in truth a secular psalm. Uh, here's another trip down memory lane. Uh, I've known Sandra all my life. And uh, when we started to go out together as a couple in the 60s, one of our favourite places, we couldn't go that often, uh, was to a restaurant in Queen Street that was called Gundry White's. It was uh, great. Uh, we really enjoyed going there. And uh, I might need to explain this to some of the younger people, but you could get there um, a starter, a main steak uh, course, and a dessert and a glass of wine for 10 shillings and sixpence each. That's 52 and a half pence. Well, can't really believe that, can you? Wonderful as that was, and uh, it was wonderful, I can assure you. The greatest thing about the evening when I reflect back was being with Sandra and talking to her, sharing dreams together, talking about our day or our work or our plans trying to understand perhaps a little more about how one and the other think and tick. It was the relationship that was the most important thing. In fact, perhaps I could say, without over trying to exaggerate in any way, there began, I guess, and grew the eternal love affair that is a part of what marriage should be all about. And as I think about uh, Bible study, I want to suggest to you this morning that Bible study at heart is all about an eternal love affair with Jesus. Let me explain a bit more. And let me use the analogy of a meal, the starter, the appetizer. There are many occasions in the Gospels where Jesus is recorded as sharing meals with people, a relaxed atmosphere, a meal open hearts, laughter, good conversation. As these meals sh were shared, so also truth was shared and life was shared. Reality became to the fore for those who were present. I particularly looked, uh, although there are many other examples, in Luke's Gospel where there is a record of 10 meals that Jesus shared. Uh, in six of them, they're only recorded in, in Luke's Gospel. What do we discover? I can't go through all of them this morning, but let me just tell you this to you, that uh, at these meals, sinners repented, uninvited, unexpected uh, guests arrived, and there were encounters. The needs of many people were met. There was time to talk and spend quality time with Jesus. Martha rather missed that point, I think, but Mary grasped it. There were heart matters that were talked about. Things that were much more to do with well, the inner man or woman than the outer appearance. There was real meaningful conversation where Jesus addressed the issues of legalism or tradition uh, and humility and uh, God's way of wanting to invite all people to dine with him. There was the reaching out to those who were searching, dear Zacchaeus who went ahead, ran up a tree, wanted to be with Jesus, and then found that Jesus was coming to his house. There were meals, even to the point where the meal became so meaningful that Jesus shared communion, what we would call communion or Passover, or a new meaning to that, 
with his disciples. Jesus revealing himself to the disciples over a meal after the resurrection. Jesus meeting the deepest needs of his frightened and rather confused disciples. Perhaps it would not be wrong to state that these meals were in fact the highest form of Bible study that was ever permitted. I want to uh, look at that and, and say to you that in that relaxed atmosphere of open hearts, Jesus, the word who was made flesh, not only opened himself to them, but allowed them to open themselves to him. And above it all, I think the greatest thing that he shared was love, a total acceptance of the individuals who were gathered round the table. <laughs> no wonder the Pharisees and scribes were upset on a number of occasions. And we read in uh, Luke 15 and the first few verses there that uh, sinners drew near to him to hear him and ate with him. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Sadducees said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Bible study. Discovering essential, fundamental, deep-rooted truth is at the heart of a meal with Jesus. And it's part, I believe, of our eternal love affair with him. It shouldn't be an academic exercise, a discipline, something that we reluctantly fit in. Oh, it's good to have the discipline and it's good to have the study. But if that's all it is, and our love for him is not deepened and our lives transformed and changed as all these people in Luke 10 discovered, then we've missed the point. Its whole purpose is to meet with Jesus, the one who accepts us, who loves us unconditionally and gave himself for us. And you know, there's something in my heart that's saying when we open our table to others, when we open our homes to others, when we share in a relaxed atmosphere a meal with others, when we allow the conversation to get off the trivia of life and into the real meaning of life and where a person is at and where you're at and where you're honest about yourself, there is something of a Bible study that is going on there that can have life-transforming effect, not only for the individual, but for those who they love and work with. How does this fit in with Psalm 42? Well, that was the starter. That was the appetizer. I hope something is bubbling away in your heart. What's David going on about? What's this really all about, this Bible study? Let me get to the main course, the stake of the matter, the thing that you've really been waiting and longing for. The psalmist said this, as the deer longs for streams of water, so long I for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? And my first thought here is this, that really Bible study, when we enter into it, need to, it needs to have that sense of a panting thirst or hunger within us, something that we're longing for. It's not a casual event. It's a meaningful meal. It's an opportunity to share at the deepest level with the one who loves us. And I guess the question for me, for myself, and maybe for you, is this. How does your heart pant 
for more of God, for more understanding, not only of him, but more understanding of yourself. That word pant in the Hebrew means to long for, to cry out for, that you'd go and be inconvenienced in order that you might have that need satisfied in some way. I wonder, is that how we approach Bible study? Whether it be a personal Bible study or meeting together with others, is it okay if it fits in with the diary? It's a, okay, yeah, I'm free to go and we go, not necessarily with a hungry heart, but more with, oh, well, we'll just see what it's all about. Maybe it will change us. Maybe I will argue over what is said. Maybe we'll just discuss God's word. But will we take it as the word of truth, the essential truth that comes from the very heart of God? I love the story in Luke chapter 7 of the woman who came and uh, attached herself to a meal of Jesus when he was in the Pharisee's house. And uh, we told that she creeps in. She washes his feet with, his, with her tears and she uh, dries them with her hair. And it seems that somewhere along the line, as Jesus sees this and sees her eagerness, her panting, her longing to be accepted by him and by God, bottom line, is he able to point, he point out to the Pharisee that actually this woman's longing, this crying out from this heart is far more than what his invitation was about. And to me, it's an example of the way in which maybe we too casually treat Bible study. Are we hungry? Are we panting? Are we longing? Do we, are we searching for truth in the inner being? Many years ago, in a different uh, circumstance, Sandra and I were visited by a minister who actually had married us. We hadn't seen him for a number of years and um, his life had moved on and he was still in ministry. And he came and sat in our home and we shared with him what uh, God was suggesting and failing uh, that we should do within the next stage of our life. And as he sat there and he'd been in ministry many years, he began to cry. And he said, you've got that panting, that heart, that passion, uh, that excitement. He said that I had all those years ago. And he said, when I went to college and studied and trained and qualified to be a minister, that longing, that passion disappeared. And it's only now coming back. How sad. How sad is that? If we lose the longing, the panting for God. Panting hearts. Let me say too that uh, within this main section there is a bit that is really quite difficult for us. I call it point two, personal humiliation. Humiliation? What do I mean by that? I mean that place of reaching a humbleness and an honesty before God. Let me read to you what uh, the psalmist said in verses 3 to 5a. Day and night I have only tears for food. When my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking. As I remember how it used to be, I walked among the crowds of worshippers 
leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And it's almost as if the psalmist is saying that in this journey of panting thirst and hunger, he has come to a place of deep emptiness within himself. Hmm. Maybe sometimes we do have to come to the end of ourselves in order that God can feed us and transform us. One of the most beautiful pictures that we get in scripture is in John 21 and verses 15 to 19 uh, at the breakfast that Jesus shared after the resurrection with his disciples and that conversation that he had with Peter. And for me, uh, I believe the Holy Spirit deliberately led John to use an interplay of different words for love, which show us there how Jesus gently and yet so clearly helps Peter to recognize where he is at. This is Peter who had said, oh, I'll never betray you. I, I, I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll follow you. This was Peter who was sure that he would just walk wherever Jesus walked. And yet who ended up denying his friend and his saviour three times. And Jesus, recognising that really what Peter was saying earlier on was that he loved Jesus unconditionally, asks Jesus, using the word agape, unconditional, passionate love, Peter, do you love me? And when Peter responds, he doesn't say, I love you, agape. He says, I love you, filio which is, if you like, a second level of love. It's not the highest level. It's the love of a friend for a friend. But it's not saying that I would lay down my life for you. And Peter answers, Lord, you are seeing really what is in my heart. I love you, filio. And the second time, Jesus says, uh, Peter, do you agape me, unconditionally love me? And Peter answers, I love you as a friend. And then Jesus, wonderful Jesus. He asks a third time, Peter, do you filio me? Do you love me as a friend? And Peter says, Lord, you know, I love you as a friend. What is that all about? It's Peter coming to terms with where he was at in his walk with Jesus, in his understanding of where his love and his commitment was at. And of course, Jesus accepted him, told him to go and feed and tend the sheep. And we know that that love that Peter had grew from filio to agape as he follows Jesus, suffers for him, imprisoned for him, ultimately crucified because he was a follower of Jesus. Hmm. Personal humiliation. Where are you? Where am I? What's the real thing that motivates my heart? I had a difficult phrase, phase over the first few weeks of lockdown, nothing to do really with lockdown, just the Lord taking me to a place where I didn't feel 
myself and was finding it very difficult to cope with many things. But I believe the Lord has shown me things about my heart uh, that I hadn't seen before. And I needed to sit and hear his voice that actually he knows where I'm at and is encouraging me to grow in that understanding of who I really am. Some years ago when I was preaching in a church, nowhere near Norwich, I can assure you, I was sharing about the importance of believing in the virgin birth in order to understand the real meaning of what salvation was really all about and what Jesus did. And a retired minister in the congregation shouted out as I was preaching, rubbish. I tell you, that was a bit tough. That was a bit difficult. And afterwards he said, you know, he just said, I want to talk to you. And I went round the following week to meet with him. And he made a statement which I found terribly sad. He said this, if I was to believe what you were sharing, it would mean my 40 years of ministry would be wasted. Hmm. My goodness me, what was the Lord sh showing him? He apologized to me. He said he shouldn't have done that. And we prayed together. But my, my how God wants to show us our hearts. The third thing I see in this psalm, which is really taking us away from the main course and into the dessert, is what I call a prodigious searching. A searching that is very earnest and very passionate and very deliberate. The psalmist said this, I will put my hope in God. This is verse 5b and onward. I will praise him again, my saviour and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizor. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves are searching tides and they sweep over me. What I mean that is I think when we move on, from the main course, when we really have our hearts examined and we discover where we're really at and we discover that actually without him, we're nothing. That in truth, we just want more of Jesus. And there is a searching, a passion, a desire to understand more of the heart and the purposes of God. We're not satisfied with the superficial. We want to go deeper, to understand more of God's heart for us as an individual and for this world that he paid his life for in order that all may come to him. I love the story in the Acts chapter 17 when Paul goes to Berea and we are told there that the Bereans were not people who just accepted everything at face value. It says in verses, verse 11, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They examined it, but they were passionate to find the truth. Interestingly, verse 12 then tells us, as a result, many Jews became believers, as did many prominent Greek women and men. The result of their searching, of their understanding about themselves, 
was that they came to a deep faith uh, in Jesus. And of course, that's a part of what Bible study is about. But if we only allow it to touch our minds and our intellect, then I ask again for myself and of you, are we missing the point? Is it not that our hearts should be touched? Is it not that we should be changed? Is it not that there be a little less of me and a little more of him? I really do believe that that is the key to Bible study. And I really do believe that that's one of the things that we have to journey towards. And if we don't journey towards it, then we're missing the point. We're just filling our minds with information and we're not allowing our hearts to be softened in his midst. It'd be wonderful if uh, when we meet together, uh, we don't just leave a Bible study saying, oh, it was great to look at that passage of scripture, but we're able to pray for one another and find and discover that truth that God is working in each one of our hearts. And maybe even around our meal tables, rather than just talking about catching up, which is good, sharing about our families, which is excellent, but somehow or other, we move to that point where we are passionately saying, hey, what's Jesus saying to you at this stage of your life? Let me share with you what God is showing me, what I saw in his word today. And even at that point around the meal table with our friends, with our families, oh, it's difficult, I understand that, to say actually Jesus is here. He's often around the table. And if you've got a prodigious searching heart, he wants to meet that need. Let's ask him now, while we're here, while we're together. And the final thing I want to say to you this morning that I see in this psalm is that there is an alertness to living that was not there before when we really have our hearts transformed by Bible study. I've called it perceptive living. The psalmist said this, but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my saviour and my God. And I believe what the psalmist is saying there is he's going to become more aware, more sensitive, more alert to the presence of God in his life, in the day-to-day -day things in which he lives through. And I think for us, that's where it should be, isn't it? That as we search for God, as we share this meal with Jesus, as all those people that we looked at very quickly and referred to very lightly in Luke's gospel shared meals with Jesus, their lives were transformed. They left more aware of God and God's love for them and God's purposes for them than they ever had before. And surely this is the point of Bible study, that as a result of that moment that we share in his word, personal or in a group, that something brings us into a perceptive way of living to see things, sense things, feel things, hear things that we have never seen before or perhaps have just missed before. I love the way in which Paul, again in Acts 17, arrives in Athens and he was very perceptive. Oh my, my gosh, 
what a transformation had taken place in Paul's heart. And uh, he says, and he goes up into the uh, place where they shared truth uh, in Athens. He said, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines and one of your altars had inscribed on it to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I am telling you about. Hmm. Perceptive living, seeing where people are at, somehow by God's grace, by the power of his spirit, being able to turn that circumstance into a reality that can touch their lives and transform their understanding of God. Wow, wouldn't that be wonderful if that could be a part of our testimony, that when we were sharing life with people, when we were sharing a meal around our table, that God revealed something just very gently to us that was able to open their hearts up to the fullness of what God was doing. He revealed perceptive things to those who were around the table. Looking for that moment, asking for that opportunity. I said, I believe that pursuing of that eternal love affair, which I believe is at the very heart of who God wants us to be. I thought what Chris shared last week was fantastic. The way that we have to give everything. But in one sense, I want to say to you, that's a good place to begin, but we need to go further and fall into an eternal love affair with Jesus. We're not just following uh, a kingdom. We're not just following uh, something which is a, a good cause, wonderful as that is, but we're following a person who wants us to become more and more like him. We can't do it on our own. We have to have a panting heart. We have to go through those moments of personal humiliation and open honesty. We have to have a prodigious searching that we're not satisfied until we see more and more of the clarity of him, his love, his beauty, his power, his strength, his kingdom. And we have to internalize that in such a way that our lives become more perceptive and we're able to translate that into the different situations that God places before us. Oh yeah, the writer of Alfie the song said, what's it all about? It's about love. A love that transforms me and transforms you. That non-believers look at and say, whoa, I want that. And we're able to share with them however is right. It's the Jesus within me. It's not me. It's the Jesus within me who I long for, who I long will live in me in the fullest and most amazing way. My dear friends, as I close, I want to say to you, this is the eternal love affair. God gives us his word, not only written, but his word made flesh who dwells among us full of grace and truth. He gives us his Holy Spirit that we may move closer and closer to him. And there's a world that waits for those people who love in such a way 
that they see Jesus in their midst. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, we've talked about it as a meal. We've thought briefly of the meals that Jesus shared when he walked on the face of this earth. But we recognise again that when we are together in a Bible study or indeed around our tables, that we are sharing a meal with Jesus when we are looking, believing, searching and talking about your truth. Lord, we pray that as a result of our ponderings this morning, we will become more earnest, more desiring to share the Jesus in our midst, to share where we are in order that we may share that life with others with increasing meaningfulness and that people's hearts will be strangely warmed and transformed by the presence of Jesus. We ask this for your honour and glory. Amen.